We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Todd Zola filling in for James Anderson. James has taken a couple of well-deserved weeks off. He's still doing his prospecting for the site. He has a nice article about some hitting tiers. James is uh, still helping us out, but I needed a couple pinch hits for the podcast. And here I am with my good friend and colleague, Brian Walton from the Cardinals Nation, correct? TheCardinalNation.com. Absolutely. And uh, you helped me out a little bit with creative sports now and again. We're a little bit of a lull, unfortunately, for writers. We still have Thomas Seltzer helping us out. But uh, our, our dual venture creative sports from Lar Michaels is still is still hot. It's still out there. Maybe we'll get some new writers for the baseball season. We'll see. But the... Uh, the, the Cardinals Nation, the Cardinal Nation, that's why we're asked, well, because it's fun talking to you anyway, but the uh, the St. Louis Cardinals have been one of the busier teams in the hot stove. Um, asked Jeff Erickson on the radio over the weekend after they signed Gibson and Lynn, are they done? And we both agreed they weren't. And they weren't. Are the Cardinals done now, do you think? Uh, unless they can come up with a deal that, that makes good sense for them. I think if you look at what happened to them last year, uh, the Cardinals, in, before they before they lost 91 games, uh, last winter is what I meant, they went right. into the offseason with a very clear need at catcher. Okay, Yadier Molina's retiring, future Hall of Famer probably. Cardinals have a tremendous need. Well, they went into the winter meetings hoping to make a trade with Toronto or Oakland for one of the young catchers. They couldn't get the job done, and now all of a sudden they're over the barrel and if Wilson Contreras signs, they're going to end up with nobody uh, if Wilson Contreras signs somewhere else. So they had to give him an extra year and a lot more money than they were comfortable with to fill that need. Now, you know, fast forward 12 months, they're coming off a last play season during which for the first time in a long, long time, they were major sellers at the deadline, traded off, you know, some of their best pitching, albeit, you know, coming into free agency in uh, Jordan Montgomery. And, and of course, Jack Flaherty was traded as w- away as well, but the Cardinals this year decided, okay, you know, we're not going to be at the high end of the market. You know, we're not going to c- compete for Otani, but we need some guys that are going to give us some innings. And they went with the tried and true approach of getting veterans who, you know, have good track records in Gibson and Lynn, Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. Uh, but are long in the tooth. And so the upside isn't there. Um, And there were a lot of concerns that that might be all they were going to do. So them getting uh, Sonny Gray, who everybody knows, I think finished second in the American League Cy Young. And, you know, really, you know, he's only at 34, which makes him a youngster Mm -hmm. in this rotation. Um, But, you know, he was a very good ad for the Cardinals and a very Cardinal-like deal uh, if you look at the structure of his contract. A gray signed for a for three years, seventy five million with a fourth year option, but the contract escalates dramatically: ten million this year, twenty five million in year two, and thirty five million in year three. So it's a very cardinal like thing to try to minimize financial impact up front. And part of the reason for that is, as everybody's probably pretty familiar, the 
former Fox Sports, now Bally Sports, right. uh, regional sports empire is in deep yogurt and probably won't survive the calendar year 2024. Right. And the Cardinals own 30%, at least last I heard, they own 30% of that um, that network. And so, you know, there's probably going to be a decent sized write down whenever that happens. And so, you know, the Cardinals are on one hand trying to fill a rotation, on the other hand, trying to not spend too much money. But I, I'm a fan of the gray contract. I'm not a, the biggest fan of war, et cetera. But if you use the fan graphs war and the $8 million per war, he earned $89 million over the past three years. Did, did, did Sonny Gray. Yep. Yep. So they're paying 75, which kind of bakes in a decline, but two of those three years, Sonny Gray was, was hurt. Now, not to say he can't get hurt again, but it, the number was deflated a little bit. So I, I think, you know, it's, it was, I don't think it was a bad contract at all. And no, and, and again, you know, what they didn't want to have happen, Todd, is to be like last year where they were, you know, one of the last men standing and having to overpay yeah. or maybe make a move that they didn't like. And so, you know, you see them moving more quickly than the market now. And, uh, you know, I think that was definitely by design. And if we, I don't know, we learned a few things for the playoffs, but it absolutely helps to have that ace. But I, I don't know that it's as necessary anymore. It didn't nec- it didn't really work out for the Orioles, but their bats kind of went cold at the, at the wrong time. But I, with, the, with the rotation of that nature, the Cardinals' nature, you know, I don't. I think they have a shot at least. You know, let's make the playoffs and see what happens. But they're going to need some of those young bats to come through. You know, it's it's interesting, Todd, that the whole discuss the Cardinals' philosophy has been, hey, you know, let's be good enough. Now they don't say it this way, but we all right. know, let's be good enough to win the National League Central and. And we'll hope to get hot in October. And, you know, that worked for him for in 20, uh, 2006 and it worked for him in 2011. But the reality is, you know, because that division is so weak, that's why the Cardinals are, you know, perennially contenders until 2023 right. at least. But the last time a National League Central team won the World Series, it was, was even in the World Series, is 2016. And so, you know, I mean, we're back to Joe okay. Madden, Dexter Fowler. And I mean, that was a long time ago. And the Cardinals themselves in 2009 were the last NL team to even reach the championship series. So, you know, that division is basically for anybody to take. So, you know, even though the Cardinals were 20 games under 500 in the last place team, you know, the view is that offense, as you said, is probably good enough. If they can at least get just even league average pitching, that might be good enough to, to take that division. Right. And they didn't, they didn't address the bullpen, which, it could could be very very good if someone like if Ryan Helsley stays healthy the, in the a couple setup men, but again they they might not be done. But it doesn't sound like they'll do anything huge. Maybe they're maybe they'll play for Matsui. The maybe not maybe they don't go for Yamamoto. Maybe they go for Kazuha uh, Matsui instead. Something like that. That feels more like a Cardinal like kind of deal. And I do think the Cardinals will do something with their bullpen. And uh, John Mozeliak at the uh, at the Gray press conference acknowledged that they have multiple needs in the bullpen. Um, so, you know, I think they're probably def, you know, definitely going to either go after some free agents or, you know, maybe make some trades because they do have a little bit, uh, they do have a few trade chips that, you know, they've been floating out there, specifically outfielders, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan mm-hmm. Carlson. Right. Um, who, and, and, you know, that's probably not going to get them a frontline starter, but, you know, maybe they can get them some, a couple of arms to help the pen. Right. I mean, right now, Stephen Matz is the fifth. It's a lot better going in with Stephen Matz as the fifth than as the third, which they may have done in previous seasons. You can you can figure out, you can work yourself around, say, 16 starts, right? You got Matz. Yeah, and, you know, Stephen Matz is, you know, interesting case. You know, he pretty much fell flat when he joined the Cardinals. You know, pitched so poorly the first half of last year, he ended up in the bullpen, and then came on strong in the second half before he got hurt. And I'm just not sure the Cardinals have a lot of confidence in Steven Matz. Right. And, you know, if they were able to go out, and I, I'm not saying that they're going to, but if they go out and swing a trade, say for a Dylan Cease or, or someone like that, I think the only way they would pull that off is if they think they could unload Matz and some of his some of his contract. But you're right. I mean, if they have to go into the season with him as number five, you know, there are a lot of teams in in, uh, 
in Major League Baseball that don't have anybody that proven at the back, very back end of their rotation. Right. I heard the the hosts on the MLB Network radio discussing, and they they weren't a fan of the signings because they felt it was like kind of an awkward transition between the the young pitchers of which the Cardinals have several. And, you know, when they may be ready and when then when the hitters may be ready, I kind of thought the exact opposite. I don't know. I, I kind of think the Cardinals, the Cardinals are good at making it work each year until, you know, and when the pitchers are ready, they'll, they, they, they'll, they'll continue to make it work. So I, I kind of disagreed with the sentiment about why make these Gibson and Lynn and Gray signings. I thought it was a smart move myself. I'm kind of somewhere in between. I mean, I, listen, we know that the Cardinals have, you know, a couple of guys that are top 100 quality national pitchers in Tink Hence and uh, Takoa Roby, the pitcher right. they got from Texas um, in the Montgomery trade. And they're still at least a year away. So this does buy them some time. And, of course, you've got McGreevy and Graceffo at AAA and some other guys that are in the hat. So the Cardinals do have some good young pitching. And I do think, like you said, they don't want to tie up those rotation spots long term with a lot of money when they don't want to spend a lot of money. And, you know, this will buy them some time to see, you know, is Tank Hens going to be durable enough? You know, is, is Roby going to be healthy enough? Uh, or if not, then they go, you know, back into the market again, I guess, in 12 months. Right. And you know, we haven't really, you know, fantasy value of, of, of Lynn and Gibson. Bush Stadium's going to help them. The Cardinals defense should help them. It, it may not be as Lockdown as it's been in previous years, like you're suggesting, it hasn't really fleshed out yet. Who's going to be there? But I think when the when the you know first pitch is thrown opening day, I suspect it'll be a pretty good defense again. Uh, the biggest defense that Lance Lynn needs is higher walls or fences <laughs> further away. I mean, I think yeah. folks probably know he gave up 44 home runs in most yeah. of the major leagues, including a, a bad little stretch there in the playoffs. So, you know, uh, but yeah, the, the Cardinals have traditionally been a keep the ball on the ground, let the defense work. And the infield defense is going to be fine. Um, the outfield, as you said, it's not clear who's going to center fielder is going to be. I mean, it's probably either going to be Lars Nupar or Tommy Edmond. Um, and, you know, that kind of depends on your level of confidence in whether Mason wins ready to be a full-time major league shortstop. Uh, so, you know, the corners are clearer, I think. Uh, certainly Jordan Walker is one and they'll figure out whether it's, um, you know, who, who it – who it is, whether it's Alec Burleson or uh, someone else, you know, one of the incumbents in, uh, or a new bar if he doesn't play center. Right. Uh, I think new bar is kind of locked into a, a spot, be a corner or center. He's yeah. Coming, you know, right, and right he's kind of a tweener in a way, Todd, you know, he yeah. really doesn't, he doesn't have court, you know, traditional corner outfield power. Um, he's not a, I mean, he's, he's credible on the bases, but he's not a, you know, he's not a huge base dealer, but he's just a solid all-around player. And I think he's probably a better player than he showed in in 2023, but, you know, we'll have to see. Yeah, I think – I mean, you, you can speak more towards work, work ethic and that, that sort of thing. But he ha- to me, he has the, the looks of someone who's going to get better. He does, yeah, and, you know, it, it has nothing to do with anything, or maybe it does, but Newt Bar is kind of an international phenomenon. And yeah. The Cardinals want to have a greater presence in Asia and having a guy like that who who is on billboards and doing advertisements and, you know, is it is a positive thing when you're trying to convince again, you know, you know, maybe not a, uh, you know, maybe not a Yamamoto, but the next tier of player to, to come to America and play in this crazy place, the center of the country. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we mentioned the home runs. Bush Stadium's, you know, getting a little nerdy. Bush Stadium's a little weird. And I mean, for years. It's suppressed power. But since there's been a universal universal humidor, since there's been a humidor everywhere, it's starting to get a little closer to neutral. We don't know yet if it's coincidental, but it's not. it hasn't suppressed power quite as much, but it's still a park that you want your homer-prone pitchers to work in. Yeah, and, and again, you know, the St. Louis staff is not necessarily the kind of staff it's been in the past you know, the last few years. So, you know, there's some of that as well, probably. The Yeah, the, the the formula is supposed to flesh that out, but it doesn't flesh all of it out. There can be certain types of pitchers that are more or less successful in certain parks that all the bias can't be removed. But uh, story, story for another day. But yeah. uh, so we started to hit on some of the other Cardinals, the batters. Uh, it sounds like you expect Walker to get – 
a spot, you know, the spots his to lose anyway. Oh yeah. I don't think, I don't think there's any doubt that Jordan Walker is going to play. I think it was, his defense was definitely erratic. Um, He didn't necessarily take good routes all the time as he has a good arm, no doubt about that. But, you know, Jordan Walker needs some work. I think when the, you know, the Sabre defensive uh, index, which is what they use for 25% of the gold glove score, uh, Walker was the second worst right fielder in the National League after Nick Castellanos. But that's a good example because Nick Castellanos, despite being perennially one of the worst right fielders, continues to play. And he, you know, got that big, what, five year, $100 million contract with the Phillies. Right. So, you know, if you, my, my point, my rambling point is if you swing the bat well enough, it doesn't really matter all that much. We'll put you in right field and we'll deal with it. Yeah, and you kind of, right of all all the you know the metric metrics wise, you're compared to other right fielders, and there's some very good fielders. So if Walker to end up for whatever reason, if he were to end up in left, he's compared to lesser fielders. But you know, we have to see where it all comes out. The guy, and, the and play- yeah, you know, the other point, the other point we just need to remember is Jordan Walker is 21 years old. Yeah, he's yeah. only been a professional outfielder for about a year and a half. So yeah. Well, he he never played the outfield before the Cardinals decided when he was in double A. Now, why they waited so long? Because if it had been me running the team, and thank God it isn't, but <laughs> the, the day they acquired Nolan Arenado in trade, I would have gone to both Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman and said, okay, get some new gloves, boys. Yeah. No, and for, for sure. some reason, they kind of dragged their feet about that for some reason, which I still don't understand. That is a little bit, little bit, little bit weird. Uh, you did mention Mason Wynn. I, I, I don't know. Say, I'm, I don't know if so much the job is his to lose, but I think it's his to win in the spring. Yeah, I, I do too. And again, you know, 21 year old in the major leagues, um, hit very, very well in AAA in the month or two before he was called up, but then, you know, hit very poorly in his first cup of coffee in the major leagues. I don't think there's any question about his instincts at shortstop, his range, his arm. Uh, defensively, you know, he's a, he's a great fielder, but the days of a Dow Maxville, and I date myself by <laughs> using that name, the days of a Dow Maxville, you know, batting under 200 and, and, you know, having a long career isn't going to happen. So Wynn's got to discover the bat, but Paul DeYoung's gone. So the temptation of playing him is gone. And I think now the, 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 the script is sort of flipped in that if Tommy Edmond is really drafted to play center field, the Cardinals don't really have another backup shortstop. So, you know, that might be a place where they go in the free agent market, you know, a minor signing, but somebody right. to give them a little bit of, a little bit of uh, coverage in case when, you know, does have to go back to AAA for a while. No, that makes sense. Cause you know, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman can play second and third, but, they really you don't want to see them at shortstop for an extended period of time. Donovan can be an emergency shortstop, but he's you know he's just he's just not. And and Brendan Donovan, great all around player, you know, great guy to have on a team, but he's not a major league shortstop. Was he the one that won the utility Gold Glove, the new award they had a couple of years ago? Uh, well, first first uh, it was um, uh, actually Edmund, I think, that won it. But, okay. but Burleson was up. I mean, not Burleson, but Donovan was up for consideration for it. Yeah, yeah. It just shows you that he may not be able to play shortstop, but he's got a good enough glove to 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 move around. And no one. Well, a guy, a guy with you know double digit home run pop yeah. with a an OBP in the 360, 370, 380 range. You know, you're going to find a way to play him. No, for sure. It's similar with with Nolan Gorman, though. The Cardinals will find a way to get him in the lineup. Yeah, Nolan Gorman is an interesting guy because as as good as he is, and and, and you know, he was uh, right up there with the power leaders on the team. He only had four RBI fewer than Goldschmidt and two more home runs. Uh, and you know, Goldschmidt, of course, was a reigning MVP. Granted, you know, he's on the on the back edge of thirty five now, but um, Nolan Gorman, you know, is a is a guy that's going to you know be a power hitter in the majors for a long time. But he's kind of a redundant piece in a little way in the Cardinals um, structure. And so I thought maybe Gorman might have to go for them to go get a quality starting pitcher, but instead they, you know, went the route uh, that they did last year, which is to pick up a guy with that, that had a qualifying offer attached that cost them a second round draft pick and a half a million dollars of international money, which is our areas, you know, the Cardinals try to build from the draft. They try to build from international. So, you know, they, they really wanted, 
Sonny Gray bad enough, and they didn't have to give up any of their core offense yet to do it. Right. A um, lot of lot of interesting. That's what I said. The Cardinals have been one of the busier teams, and even without the moves, there's a lot of moving pieces in the infield. So it's it's great to have you on to talk about the Cardinals. But we want to talk about a couple other non-specific baseball uh, topics for this time of year. Uh, first of all, we did mention Yamamoto. I'm just curious because I mean I do projections, this that, but I'm starting to get into drafts, and it's getting to the point where. How aggressively am I going to pursue not just Yamamoto, but Imanaga and some of these other players, you know, coming over with good stats from Japan? And I've always been shy about it. I've always been burned. Uh, do you have any sort of any general feel? You know, how I we don't know where they're going to sign yet, but but I guess my, you know my take on Yamamoto is that he's a little bit different in that a lot of the guys that have come over, obviously yeah. not. Uh, not Otani, but a lot of them are have a lot more miles on them, right? They're in their late twenties, early thirties. Yamamoto's only twenty five, and you know he's already he's already you know uh, been highly decorated for multiple years. And I think he's a guy that's going to jump right in the number one, number two spot in somebody's rotation. And I think it's going to be you know a, a big name team, whether it's the Mets or the Dodgers or the Red Sox or somebody, somebody's going to give him a lot of money. And I, I think he's going to be a, a pleasant surprise for those who are doubting him. Yeah. I talked to our mutual friend, Tim McLeod, who, as you know, follows Japan leagues very, very closely. Matter of fact, was on this podcast with Jamie Anderson a few weeks back. And he pretty much said the same thing. Yamamoto is special in that his stuff is better than anybody's stuff when then other than Otani when he came over to the United States. So if you, you're, you know, you start to do translations. In other words, I need, I need to loosen up, loosen up the reins a little bit and, and not just uh, categorically ignore when Yamamoto's name comes up in, in a, in an auction, for instance. So, no, I, I, yeah. I definitely don't think you should ignore him. And, you know, it's funny. He's, because of the uh, you know the Japan connection and uh, the WBC and Olympics and all, uh, Nukbar, who we were talking about earlier, is is become very good friends with Yamamoto. So there's a segment of Cardinals fans who hope, hey, Yamamoto is going to you know want to be buddies with Nukbar and come to St. Louis. But the reality is the Cardinals aren't going to pay 200 million dollars for anybody, and so you know he's going to go to a Yamamoto is going to go to one of the deep pocketed teams. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, you're not far from Boston, but the uh, the talk in Boston is, well. Shohei Otani is a client of New Balance, who is who's headquarters in Boston. So forget it; he's coming to Boston. And yeah, he, yeah. I, I'm saying this. You, know, you can't tell me chic. That would be wonderful if if everything else was equal. But you got to get to the equalizer part, yeah. which is how many years and how much money. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm saying it's all tongue in cheek. And of course, when he comes, Yamamoto comes, and it's all because of Masataka Yoshida. And I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. I don't think I'm not sure there's a chance, but every, I don't know. I follow Twitter, et cetera, or X, whatever. Right now I think there's 20, 27 or 28 teams. that think they're going to get Yamamoto. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you yeah, know, the realistic, I mean, there's technically a chance until there isn't, but I think right. we all know when push comes to shove, all those other factors aren't going to matter as much as how much money and how many years are you going to give me? Right. I yeah exactly exactly and I I I, I kind of not so much buy into but I understand he wouldn't mind if there was a countryman on the team and there's a few options and on some of the major teams there's a few options so uh, we'll see how that we'll see if that comes out to fruition but you're right it's all about the dollars it's it, it it's going to come down we'll come down to the dollars and cents at, at the end of the day so well and again you know if everything's equal then yeah some of those other factors definitely will come into play right. but. You know, you've got to get a seat at the table first. Yeah, no, no, for sure. So hopefully, hopefully these things flesh out sooner than later. But, you know, the winter meetings coming up, uh, we should start to see some movement. I'd say mid-December for some of these bigger. It's, we've seen a little, but I think we'll start to see some more movement mid-December. Yeah, I think you're on a good point, Todd. And that is, you know, put the NOLA deal aside because obviously the Phillies wanted him back and they were going to, you know, make sure that they got that done. Yeah. But but the rest of the market is kind of waiting on Yamamoto and Otani. And Otani is such an interesting case. You know, you can't necessarily – I don't think there's going to be any other deals really tied to him because he's so unique and is so right. big. But, you know, once 
once Yamamoto goes in, the other shoes are going to start to drop more quickly, I think. No, for sure. And the, the batters, the free agent hitters, I don't think there's anybody that, you know, we're waiting for this guy to sign. There's a lot of good, you know, impact hitters, but I don't think there's that, you know, oh, no, we lost out on this guy. What are we going to do sort of thing? And it, that, that market should should work itself out uh, fairly soon as well. But I think the, I think trades are just as interesting as, as the free agent signings this year. Yeah, because pro- of the pro- probably. Yeah, probably one where Juan Soto goes is the most interesting story yeah. of the offseason for hitters, not, you know, not whether where Cody Bellinger signs. Yeah, reading about Juan Soto for someone who's not very good, he's he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. You know yeah, but again, you know, it's a it's a rental player. So, you know, again, I I look at I look at tend to look at things from the Cardinals' perspective. The Cardinals would never go for a guy like Juan Soto unless they thought, hey, I can sign this guy to a long term contract. And, right. And there's no reason why Juan Soto would want to give up that leverage at this point. You know, he's going to want to play one more year and then cash in like, like uh, you know to set himself up for life. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, he's, he, he, he set the bar so high, which is one reason, you know, especially during the pandemic season, who knows where he would have landed if it was the season was longer, but he sets the bar so high. We're comparing him to himself and not a good, you know, a good major league ball player. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of unfair in a way, but, um, yeah, now that that'll be interesting. You know, the, the the Yankees are the ones that are supposedly in on Soto, and there's some pitching that they've been discussing. We'll we'll see how that fleshes out again over the next couple of weeks. So, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit to to the the keeper dynasty topic, and we we're we're in a league together that is kind of a hybrid, but this is the time of year where people are thinking about their keepers keeper lists and re, and and strict in, in straight keeper leagues where the turnover is pretty quick, and and then maybe making moves in dynasty leagues as well. Uh, you know, again, we're both involved with the XFL, a hybrid keeper dynasty league, so I thought it'd be kind of interesting to. Talk in general. What we what we've already done it because we've already had our auction. But what were some of the thought processes we each went into to set our keeper list and think about how we wanted to approach the draft, which occurred first week of November at First Pitch Arizona. You know, hopefully most people won't be drafting till March. But let's talk a little in general, and we can use the XFL as examples. But when you're in a keeper or dynasty league, what do you when you first sit down? What do you do? What do you look at? What do you think about? 
Well, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, you want to you want to look at the, that calendar. Um, in this case, you know, we were drafting before the World Series, basically before. The, well, I guess the World Series was over, but it just ended. Yeah, yeah, it had just ended. So, you know, you really didn't have any idea about what to look forward to in the next year, other than guys who were out or injured or whatever. But so, in in that environment, and a lot of people haven't done their projections yet. So probably in that kind of league, you're looking more backward than forward um, in terms of, you know, looking at the player pool. But, you know, any kind of keeper dynasty league, you have to look at the talent, the core of talent that you have and say, hey, if I can add the right complementary pieces in the draft, am I going to realistically be competitive to win this year or am I not? Am I an also ran? And, you know, probably you need to have made that decision before you're at the keeper deadline, because what one of the things that we see in this league that you and I are in is a lot of trading of future draft picks, a lot of trading of veterans to teams that are in contention for teams that are maneuvering to be in contention in the future. So I think the most important thing coming in is, you know, where do I see my team stacking up in 2024? Am I a contender or do I? You know, am I somewhere in the building process? Because that question really governs how about you go about not only drafting, but how you go about managing your team over the course of the year. Yeah, you when you first said you used, I think you were word to word honest appraisal. That's the toughest part to me. I mean, we'll leave you know, kind of thinking about this. You know, this league's been around over twenty years, and um, I haven't won it yet. So, you know, it it goes into my thing. You know, it, it it influences my thinking, and it shouldn't. I shouldn't let that in, you know, I shouldn't be biased. Like, ah, let's go for it this year because we're close. You, you know, be patient, make a real honest appraisal. The joke, I there are 15 people in the league, so I guess I told it 14 times. I put my keeper list on the on the you know, I do it first on the uh, on the on the sheet because I kind of do the SWAT thing. I'm like, wow, I love this list. I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush. Then I start putting some other lists down, and it's like, I don't, oh, well, this is a pretty good list too. Wow, these are some really nice. Eh, and my list doesn't look so good anymore. So you can't just look at your team. You really need to judge it against some of the other competitors. And and of course, the other impact, assuming that you know this is an auction league that we're talking about, uh, you have to look at the values of the players because you might have a killer list, but if you've committed you know sixty or seventy percent of your salary, you've lost any room to really maneuver in the draft and make your team get better. Whereas you know, if you have a team of very inexpensive young stars, then you can afford to go out in the draft and you know, get get some big names and fill in those gaps and, and maybe build a competitive team uh, very quickly. Right. I've, I've kind of alluded to it a couple of times. I, there's no textbook definition, but in my mind, keeper, there's a, 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 a frequent turnover of players due to expiring or just cost prohibitive contracts. Whereas in a dynasty, you kind of keep everybody for as long as you can. And what we have is sort of in between where there's a, a slower escalation of salaries. So there's, Yes, yes. Well, yeah. What you're referring to is that in this particular format, a, a player who is drafted as a farm player before they've reached their uh, – exhausted their um, prospect eligibility, rookie eligibility, uh, 50 innings pitched, 130 at-bats, those players – escalate their salary escalates at a lower rate and so these what we call plus three or three dollar players tend to have a a, a, an inflated value in the eyes of the teams who own them because of course over time if they're a Mike Trout that you end up keeping for 15 years because his salary grows so slowly you know that's a good thing but sometimes you know I find myself you know thinking I want to keep this guy because he's a plus three player when I don't look at Listen, I could buy him back for that, or maybe even a little less if I just throw him back in the pool. Right, and once he gets thrown back, he becomes plus five, and the escalator is a little bit. I, I, I had that with Durant, uh, Jaron Duran. Is that I did not keep him this past year. He just didn't look good. I wasn't happy with his attitude, and he became a new player this year. So I got him back, but now I get a five dollar escalator. And he's going to become more expensive quickly. Then there's some minor leaguers where. You know what? He's not worth four dollars this year, but I know he's going to be worth seven and ten and thirteen. So you kind of keep him, knowing you're going to move him to reserve, 
or assuming you're going to move them to reserve and then, uh, you know, then get the benefit of the escalator down the line. I'm kind of doing that with Everson Pereira this year. I don't know if he's going to start for the Yankees, but I do think I do like his long-term talent. So I was willing to take the $4 off my budget and take out the outfielder spot and just get an outfielder in our March supplemental. Uh, yeah, so it's a lot more fun to do that yeah. when you know when the young player comes through. I mean, I'm there. I think it was ten dollars or maybe thirteen dollars on Cabrian Hayes. Right. You know, all right. Cabrian Hayes is a solid major, great defender. Of course, that didn't help us in fantasy. Uh, you know, a solid major leaguer, but you know, there's a lot of third basemen that are going to give you a seven fifty or seven sixty uh, OPS and fifteen home runs. So. You know, he's a guy that I, I initially was going to throw back, and then at the last minute I had an open spot, so I decided to keep him anyway. Looks like – maybe I'm wrong, but it looks like – I think we were kind of in similar boats in that we we maybe didn't have the star keepers that some of the other players had, but we've got some pretty good young talent, and I think we both drafted hoping things come together that we probably have a chance. Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, that's, again, you know, part of the optimism. I, I, I talked about being realistic and I really want to and try to be realistic. But at the same time, uh, I came in, I think, fifth or so. And there were three teams right, you know, up near the top that were just, you know, blowing it away. And I was kind of in that next tier. And so I thought, you know, I'm not going to blow it up yet. Uh, you know, I'm not going to keep Matt Kemp at $50 or whatever, $45, what would have kept, but I did keep Schwarber at 30 and, you know, I've got a, I've got a core of guys. I have some good young pitching as well and think, you know, Hey, I'll give it another shot. But if I don't, if I start to backslide, then yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably blow it up during the year. All right. Keep them. Uh, there's always a pause. I've had sirens going by. So I'm muting my, muting my mic and unmuting it. Um, it's been kind of a, You've heard it, heard us enough, Brian. That it's kind of a they have a game when I'm on the radio. When will the first siren be going on in the background? It's just uh, yes, yes. They must they must really like me to put up with me with the, put up with the siren. So, uh, <laughs> but it's 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 at this point it's become almost a, I don't want to say a joke, but a running gag, if you will. But anyway, um, the other, you know I, well, when we're talking about this league, I let's, we'll continue. We alluded to the March draft. We've got a 23-man roster we already have, but we have a 17-man supplemental draft that we do in March. And if we keep farm players, those that haven't exhausted their initial eligibility, you mentioned 138 bats, 50 innings, we can keep those at the back end of our farm roster. So if I keep five farm players, I make 12 picks, and I'm done. That sort of thing. But uh, this this this... And this sort of thing, I think one of the things people need to do is like, what you need to do, you need to see who has the top picks. And you need to see what their likely strategy is. Are they going to go for youngsters? Are they going to go for, you know, uh, the closers? Are they going to supplement their outfield? Um, it's always, it's always to, to me, that, that kind of goes into building the entire team. But so before the March, hopefully we'll talk to you before the March draft on the air, but before the March draft, what is some of your prep for this? Well, certainly you want to look at, and by the way, this league we're talking about for folks who want to go take a look at the rosters, it's fantasyexperts.com where the experts does not have the first E. So fantasy and then experts.com. Right. Um, well, the first thing you know that I'll do between now and then is look at any players who become injured during the offseason or maybe are involved in, in role changes where uh, they may not get the playing time. Uh, for example, I, you know, I gave another shot at Jake McCarthy in Arizona and, you know, we'll have to see if he's going to get playing time. For example, you know, I'm looking for cheap steals late in the draft Whit Merrifield, where's he going to land? You know, will he get to play much, you know, looking to see if there's some of those, there's gaps I can fill um, in this particular league closers went very high. I think people were looking for the, um, relative assuredness of closers, if that's a word. Um, so I'll be sniffing around the edge of closers to see if guys emerge this spring uh, before, you know, during spring training, before we make our first big, big uh, move, uh, our big uh, free agent opportunity or phase two of our draft, I guess we call it. Right. If uh, anybody in the league is looking to see if uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto is taken and to the aforementioned Tim McLeod squad, he's this. This goes deep. Paul Skeens is already taken. 
this this uh, this minor league or minor league class goes deep. I don't know if you've actually you know tried to see who's available based upon the current prospect inventory, but at least in my estimation, there the quality of available prospects is not what it's been over the past few years. Yeah, and that's you know a lot of the fun of it that that people are out there you know grabbing prospects early on and. Tim McLeod, who we mentioned, is has really zeroed in on the Asian leagues, and so you know he typically has them beforehand. But even so, uh, even before him, uh, our friend Trace Wood also was very yep. uh, focused in that area, and it, it created a very interesting situation in that uh, he drafted Otani uh, multiple years before he came to the U.S. And as go- I mean, when you have a bunch of people who are in the fantasy industry, typically you have you know, you have some pretty clear, pretty well set rules where people, you know, there aren't a lot of big holes, but we hadn't dealt with the issue of how to, how to handle a two-way player. And this was a, a something that there was a lot of debate and a lot of uh, strong feelings about, you know, what we should do. And unfortunately we didn't deal with it until, you know, Otani was almost to the majors. And, you know, unfortunately his owner felt like the decisions made didn't optimize Otani's value as much as he would have liked. And, the, the core issue was, can you play him at both hitter and pitcher, but only use one roster spot and recruit the stats from both sides of his role using one active roster spot? And the decision was made, hey, that's not, you know, the way fantasy game as we know it's designed. If you want to play Otani and you have to use two active roster spots, one hitter and one pitcher, or you can have him be one or the other. Right. So the, the compromise that we made, I, I do like this, like um, was – you 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 had the equivalent of forty one roster spots. You you got to keep both Otani the pitcher and Otani the hitter, and fill in the rest of your reserve. So the advantage one got with Otani is the an extra reserve. That's right. That's right. And you know, of course, his owner wanted the best of both worlds, and right. I understood why. But you know, that was that was going down a path that the game. I don't I don't know if anybody's actually done that. I've allowed that in least probably somebody somewhere has, but it would, it would, uh, it would be uh, uh, quite a precedent setter, I think. Right. And you know, what we decided to do gives an advantage over the leagues that broke them into two players yep. and the leagues that you could use them at one or the other, but you know, you'd lose a reserve spot. So I, I, I liked our compromise and it was a shame that we couldn't come to a mutual agreement, but when you, it's rare when you've got 15 people, that you're going to have 15 people say, love that rule. Well, especially when 14 of them are on the one side of the yeah. equation, right? I mean, the more stats Otani accrues for my competitor, the fewer I get, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So but the fact is, the fact is Otani's a very valuable player and his salary is only going to, you know, grow at, at $3 per year for a long, long time. He won't be, we won't get a chance to bid on him as a free agent for a number of years, I'm sure. Correct. And I'm not going to say we don't have to worry about it this year because he's, he's not pitching. But the, uh, the 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 team that had Otani this year technically still qualifies as pitcher because he pitched last year. So during the auction for auction, they were allowed to maneuver Otani between utility and pitcher for their roster. Even though he's not going to pitch next year, he still carried that eligibility, which yep. is another benefit of Otani is that you have that maneuverability within the auction to move in between UT and pitcher and optimize your lineup, so to speak. Yes. Yes. And that came up, that came up. I got burned because I was like, you can't do that. Oh wait, you've got Otani. You can do that. <laughs> so, you know, of all people that should have recognized it, it was like, Oh, anybody got a crowbar and get my foot out of my mouth. But we figured it out. We, we, we got it done. Uh, so that, that worked out. That worked out well. Um, let's, let's shift it uh, topic just a little bit in that, I know, again, you, you're a, a rules specialist, if you will. You're kind of a consultant on a few leagues. You're tell orders when we're on the board together. We, we have a lot of rules discussion. Um, let's, let's say hypothetically that we're tasked with, or we just, we, we're bored. We're bored. We want to start a brand new league. Now, granted, we should probably have some friends and family and people in mind. But let's, you know, just to, 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 to suit the conversation, we're starting a league. We're setting the rules. And we're saying, do you want to join the league? I'm just curious what some of what some of the rules that you would have in the in the in the Brian Walton league. 
Well, I think, of course, the first question is, is it going to be a redraft league or not? Right. And is it going to be an auction league or not? And there are folks who feel really strongly on both sides of that. Uh, I will tell you, I'm an auction guy. I love all the dynamics of an auction draft. Yep. And I think if you have a group of people who you're very comfortable with, you know, having a keeper or a dynasty league is something that you can really enjoy. It, it You can exponentially increase your enjoyment in the league over the long haul. Now, if you're throwing it out in, you know, the general Yahoo community or something and you get a bunch of jerks in there, then, you know, it can also become an albatross. So, you know, I, if I'm assuming that it's a group of people that I'm, you know, looking forward to playing with and and can get along with, then, yeah, I would definitely want to go with an auction uh, keeper type of structure. I would, I would as well. And I don't know, I, you know what, I, I've grown to really love the hybrid, hybrid uh, traits of the XFL. Uh, dynasty, you run in, in pure dynasty, you run into situations where, especially if there's a couple jelly beans involved, where teams bail when they're after they win and all that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's so you know if you're gonna, are you going to put the time at the beginning? to build for five years, to build that dynasty. There's a reason why it's called dynasty. And will the league be around in five years? Yeah. It's, it's, it's always, so you, you don't want to start a dynasty league on a whim. You want to have 10, 12 people that want to be in a dynasty league together. To, I think anyway, to make it work. I, I um, agree. Now, what about, what about the scoring categories? In Tell Wars, we were standard five by five, but we use OBP instead of batting average. And we do have some experimental. Well, not that's no longer experimental. We have one league which has innings pitched in lieu of wins, and saves plus holds in lieu of holds. So, are you a standard five by five guy, or you, would you like to make some tweaks? Well, I've certainly been one over on OBP, and I so I don't know is OBP standard five by five now, or is, are there no. are still more league? Are there still more batting average I'll, leagues out there? I, I'm going to use the word unfortunately. Unfortunately, there are still more batting average leagues out there. Many more. Yeah, many well, more. so OBP is number one. I, I, I mean, there are there are plenty of arguments. I, I think as the game continues to evolve, wins become much less important, and coming up with another approach, whether it be innings pitched or whatever it is, is probably a good idea. Saves were always overly inflated compared to their value, right. and I, I don't know that holds really does that much for me uh, other than it, it does increase the player pool of, of potentially more valuable relievers, I guess. But so I guess I would rank them in order. OBP would be number one. And then dealing with his pitch versus wins. And for me, the saves or saves versus hold is a, is probably the third in priority. I, the other area of course, that was of concern for a long time was stolen bases as they continued to drop across the game. But we saw, last season an uptick because of the changes in rules. And I'm for one, I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, you know, sales was kind of a, I mean, a stolen bases was kind of a, I wouldn't say an afterthought, but it was one where you had to be very careful and not get caught without saves because if you did, you weren't going to be able to find them easily. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think I, the saves and holds, I, I mean, it, from a projection point of view, all, ca all, all statistics have variance. I mean, but, you know, from a guy that does the projections, I don't like saves and holds just because it's a it, – it, it, it's a it's a job sort of thing. It's worth, it's a manager whim, especially for holds. It reminds me, we've had this discussion in our football league, which uses IDP, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but one year your argument was, all right, it sounds so cool, but who actually studies IDP? We just look to see who's tackling people, and we pick that guy up off the waiver wire. It's not like we go into the we don't talk we research the IDPs in all that depth. And to me, it's the same with holds. And that I'm just not, I'm not going to draft a, a holds guy. I'm going to wait to see who emerges in season and pick him up. If that's, all right. So so what are we yeah. week twelve week twelve in NFL? Yeah. I think I, I flipped Minnesota's on by. I think I flipped two of my IDP guys just this week. Right. So I, and and you know I didn't feel bad about flipping them because those spots are just are fungible. Now I know we're not going to go off into football, but. Yeah, I, I think I still think team defense is a better way to go in football, but that's just me. Well, I mean, I think if you if if you have ten or twelve people that actually research the position, 
and are making choices based upon how they truly feel the player will play and not just sorting by points and grabbing the guy at the top of the list. I think that's what most of the people in our league do. And I, I kind of bought your argument back when, but to me, it's the same with saves and holds in that. Um, all right. Yeah. We know some of the, we know some players are going to, uh, who are going to be high in the holds list, but it's also, you can also wait and see who emerges and there's always cheap ways to get him. If that's the way you want to play the game, I guess that's fine. I'm, I, I love innings pitches instead of wins. I'm still haggling, and if I do have to do this league on my own, I don't know what I would do with saves. I just, I don't, I want. I think there are ways to get the better closers on teams without saves being the reason. Hmm. You know, high strikeout rate, good ratios. I think if you you come up with a clever array of stats, you can. They're just gonna they're gonna be rostered just because of their low ratios and their high strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it, to come up with that perfect uh, that perfect uh, mix is, is there's always it's like well you really want four ratio categories. Well, no, I guess I really don't want four mm-hmm. ratio categories. Things like that. So the other the other rule thing I was thinking about your question from earlier, I, I think you know the the question uh, a major question in my mind as you're setting up a league is how are you going to handle free agency? Right? Are you going to handle you know are you going to have immediate uh, on demand free agency, or do you go to the other end of the extreme, which is how this XFL ExpertsFantasy.com uh, is run, which is a once a month once a month supplemental draft for free agents, and and the idea there is. Keep the league more or less low maintenance. You've got 40-man rosters, so you shouldn't have an issue week to week if your catcher goes, your second catcher goes down, or if you do, you go with an open position. And, you know, just have one draft a month and uh, use that opportunity for people to replenish their, their teams. What's your take on the ideal? Is it on demand? Is it once a month? Or is it in, in between weekly? All right. I, I de- I'd like – for the reason, for the reason, you know, I'd like the I like the XFL once a month. If nothing, it gets us together once a month. Uh, have some fun, t- chat. We go to a Zoom meeting, etc. And I think it does help trading a little bit. I am not a first come first serve daily moves guy either. Uh, I do like I like the weekly the weekly setup. I will tell you, Todd. I you know I've talked to plenty of you and I are both of a of a particular generation, right? Um, a lot of the young people who are who've gotten away from baseball got away from it for that very reason. Hey, I don't have the time or the energy to make daily transactions. I just don't. Now, granted, there are plenty of people who are playing DFS and and you know, but that's a that's a different thing. Yeah, to be honest though, I mean, when you consider ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, etc., dailies are still far more popular than the weekly leagues. I mean, there's people paying free 10-team daily leagues. Uh, These people aren't paying for information. These people aren't probably having a huge entry fee, even in a local friendly league, you know. So, it's but when you take the leagues as a whole, it's it's like 75% daily points. Hmm. So, sometimes we forget that when when we dole out our information, but then, again, when you parse it into, well, who's paying for that information? Then the then the 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 subset becomes a lot more than what we're talking about weekly moves. I like I like the weekly moves. The one thing I don't like, maybe it's it's nitpicking a bit, uh, in a in a fab league, trading fab drives me nuts. It's <laughs> it's just I'm not you know making any reference to any league that we're in, but it's already difficult enough to gauge what a player's worth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just uh, trading, buy, buying of players for an arbitrary amount, it doesn't happen as much in Tout Wars, but I'm in a couple of keeper leagues where people just assume, you know, put put a guy that they're going to drop and look for a couple of fab units, then drop him and, and have him be bid on. And it just, it just I don't know. I, the equity is already so much, so hard to figure out. I would prefer that fab not be traded. You know, there and, and uh, there have been situations where I'm, you know, coming into the deadline in an only league thinking, okay, you know, I've got the 
second most amount of money or whatever. I'll get one of the top two for agents. Somebody makes a trade the week before, picks up $100 in fab and trade. And now all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm, I'm left high and dry. Now that's my own fault. I, I guess I could have made trades too, but I, I agree with you. I, I'm not real wild about it. The only league that I wish we could trade fab is one that we can't. And that is labor where you cannot draft $0 players. So when you're out of fab, you're out of moose for the year. So yeah. that one, I wish you could trade, but you can't. So there you go. Or, or you, Maybe the word zero dollar bids is a is a uh... yeah, or, or allows zero zero dollar bids, right? Yeah. Because you know you get you get nailed by injuries late in the year, and you know you're 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 stuck. Yeah, what I the thing I found in in that in that and it's happened to me not every year, but a couple of years is where you just don't you've got the hammer. All right, great, I've got the hammer. Ninety six dollars, I get the best player, but now I only have like four units for the rest of the year, and you know, I almost would rather just getting lesser pieces and have 20 units to spend for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just one of those things where um, how injuries play out, do I get to spend it or not? Um, but are you, you know, uh, you, you play only leagues in tower. I know you've done mixed leagues before. I would you, would you recommend mixed leagues now just because of the, 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 the only league inventory is just so tough at the end. Well, and you know, this is a this is this is actually the next thing I wanted to talk about as we're talking about rules, and that is the injured list. And yeah. how do you optimize the size of the injured list? Because that decision is very, very different in an only league versus uh, a mixed. In right. a mixed, you know, you're always going to have players with with decent stats that you can pick up to fill in for injuries. In an only league, especially if you're up 12 or 15, 15 teams. You know, you might look at the player pool in any given week and the uh, free agent who got the most at bats in the league last week might have got 10 or 12 at bats. And he's, you know, it might be a backup catcher. So, you know, the challenge of allowing uh, unlimited size injured list, which normally, you know, logic would say, well, why not? You know, why penalize the teams that are hit badly by injuries? But in an only league, what it means is you just don't have any free agents to pick up. Right. Because teams are in a, in a, in a limited, either limited reserves or smaller DL list, people are going to have to use their reserve spots for some of the IL players they don't want to drop. Yeah. And the fewer reserve spots means the fewer, you know, more free agents out, out, out in the pool. I think if I'm starting an only league, I know Tout Wars is 12 and that's standard. I would probably push for like a 10 team only league to make it a little more, have a little bit. You know, so if you're out there and you want to start a league and you want to do ALNL only, that's great dying breed i would at least recommend 10 teams at the beginning see how it is and if you want to expand you can but uh i mean i, th- I think we've come up with a couple of clever ways in tell wars to help help the uh the pool i mean there have been weeks where you know zoli you, you've got an injury guy a corner and you didn't pick anybody up what are you lazy mm-hmm. no i mean i actually spent all week looking to see if somebody would be available, but there, there, there wasn't anybody to bid on. Beg, begging that somebody with a name gets called up, or you uh, know something, something happens, yeah. so you could actually get a player that you want to have in your lineup. Because yeah. you know, you last thing you want to do is pick up a guy to fill a roster spot and have him give you a week of zeros. Exactly. So basically, yeah. So I mean, we we've teased it. I don't. Th- I think. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's going to be public knowledge within Tower soon enough, but we're going to. Uh, experiment with an extra swingman. We already have one swingman. We took away the fourth outfielder, a fifth outfielder, made it a pitcher, hitter, swingman. We're going to take away one of the middle. We're going to make it infield and not corner and middle and make that spot a combination or utility where it could be filled by a pitcher. So this way, if there isn't that corner man, at least you can get yourself a pitcher to give you some help this week. Exactly, because as we talked about before, there are always pitchers on the waiver wire with decent ratios, yeah, you know, decent strikeouts, and and you know, let's face it, that's a lot better than and I'm harping on the backup catcher, but you know, having to pick up a backup catcher and putting him in at utility, it's just you know, it's just a, a stupid thing you'd have to do to get to keep a valid roster. So you know, why not add another pitcher and at least you know build your pitching stats a little bit? 
Unless your name is Lar Michaels and you're drafting Chris Widger, which the story was very cleverly recounted by Ron Chandler in his in his fantasy expert book. I'm sure we'll have Ron on. Uh, you, did you have a chance? You have a chance to check out the book yet? Uh, should this answer <laughs> your question? There we go. Yeah, I I read half of it at the airport uh, on my way before I was before I headed back and did finish the other half. Uh, uh, and they've gone back and reread, reread a, a few certain passages here and there. As I mentioned on Twitter, got a lot of laughs, a lot of "Hey, I forgot about that," and a lot of "I didn't know that." So yeah, it was it was a fun read. It, it really was, and uh, you know, it just it's just a testament to how valuable Ron Chandler has been to the oh. industry to to step back and look at the things that happened as the as the game evolved, and uh, you know that. That some of us had our own little little uh, name mentioned in there once or twice is really humbling. Oh, he was well too kind in in some space. But uh, for those curious, we got there was a a short a short run of the book for first pitch Arizona. It will be out in the spring for those that are interested. And, and Ron may have some copies left if you check him out on Facebook and and and, and the and the X. There may still be some uh, copies left of that first run. And it's um, called uh, the book is going to be or well, is called Fantasy Expert by Ron Chandler, and it's uh, Triumph Publishing. Right, it kind of a it's his it's his story through the industry, but he tells tales about other things that have happened, sort of simultaneously as he worked his way through the industry. A lot of the goings on uh, along with it, and uh, again, a lot of got a good memories and a lot of wow, that's uh, didn't 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 know that at the time. And Todd, he proved that someone could, in fact, make a living out of the fantasy industry. And here you are. Yeah, yeah, that he did. He 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 did. And uh, like I said, he was he was he was very kind in in my regard. And uh, it was it was actually very nice to as as Ron is very nice to most. But he's honest. There was some stories along the way that needed to be telling, and he and he was honest about those. So uh, you get a good a good look at everything. So uh, anyway. Didn't didn't expect to be talking about the book, but it's 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 worth noting. And again, we'll probably have Ron on when the when the hardcover printing comes out in the spring. I'm sure he'll be uh, take time out from the book the book signing tour to to talk to us. And the, the reference I made a, a few minutes back was I held up a copy of the book for Todd to see. I know this is an audio only uh, interview, but I I held up the book which was right here on my desk. Well, mine's an arm's length away too, but uh, anyway, so. Um, we're up against the hour. We had some fun stuff today, some hopefully evergreen stuff. So uh, the Cardinals information will uh, ever changing, but I like talking about it's a good time of the year to talk about general leagues and set up and rules. So that was kind of, that was kind of fun. No one yeah, better well, than Brian. Yeah, and the, I'm, uh, a, I'm available on X Twitter at B underscore Walton. So uh, hit me up if you have any questions about Cardinals players or anything in general, and I'm happy to engage. Tell you, let's say, why don't you talk just to give a little publicity to your website? Yeah, the thecardinalnation.com, and you have to have the the up front. Um, I started it, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, and my niche is really covering the Cardinals minor league system from top to bottom. Uh, as much as I'm, you know, major league focused, as all fantasy players are, you know, we we try to tend to know the next, want to know the next generation of players are coming along. And from a business perspective, the way that I could differentiate my product is by covering the minor leagues uh, at every level. And so I have reporters in each of the Cardinals minor league affiliates uh, in the U.S. here, and we really have new content about the Cardinals 365 days a year. Right now we're unveiling our top 50 Cardinals prospects for 2024, uh, one per day, and detailed scouting reports as well as their, their future. And so, you know, if you're interested in the Cardinal system, the Cardinal Nation is the, definitely the place to go if you want to keep up on the minor leagues. Sounds great. Uh it's you go to it's in your X bio, uh, bio there for people looking for the links. If they can't find it, uh, pretty easy to track down. Well, it looks like it's that time to say All goodbye. Right. Well, well, thank you for like, having me on so much, Todd. And I, I hope folks enjoyed our discussion yeah. today. Uh, appreciate uh, talking to you. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll have an occasion to speak some about hopefully something good. Uh, in the uh, in the in the, in the upcoming weeks, we got some Tout War stuff going on, and there's always XFL stuff. But uh, good talking to you, catching up a little bit, and thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by. You got it. All right.
You forgot to do your uh, commercial break. You'll have to yeah, insert that. I realized that. I just look for a, a pause and then I throw it in between topics. So. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.